Hello and welcome to the Wealth Stack Podcast, the very first episode of the Wealth Stack Podcast. Uh, I'm Mark Bruno, the managing director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa, and I am really excited to get into our first discussion here today about the way we're positioning this is 10 years of change that have effectively taken place over the last 18 months. Um, and before we get into our discussion, being that this is the first Wealth Stack Podcast, I should frame what it is that we're looking to do with this podcast and what our objectives are for creating some of the conversations that we're having with the leading minds across the wealth management industry. It, at its core, the Wealth Stack Podcast is about two things. It's about growth and it's about innovation. The common thread running through both of those is technology. So all of our discussions will be about growth and innovation, but importantly, when we touch on technology, it'll be the role that technology can play in enabling growth and innovation. And for our first interview, I genuinely cannot think of a better person to have on than our first guest, Joe Duran, the Managing Director and Co-Head of Goldman Sachs' Personal Financial Management Group. Joe, thank you so much for being with us on the first episode of the Wellstock Podcast. I am thrilled to be here, Mark, and congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, so before we get into the discussion about all the change that we've experienced over the last 18 months, I do think it's important. A lot of people are familiar with you and your background, but can we start just by getting an overview of you know, what is Goldman Sachs personal financial management and what types of services do you all offer? So the original personal financial management was the old United Capital. It was uh, 800 employees, uh, 100 offices around the country. That's been merged with what was called ACO, it's still called ACO. Uh, under the umbrella of Personal Financial Management Group. And I run that with Larry, who uh, is the CEO of ACO. So we collectively have around two and a half to 3,000 employees, about 120 billion in assets, um, and hundreds of advisors around the country. I think we're the predominant financial planning, national financial planning firm. And unlike our brethren at Private Wealth, uh, where they deal with ultra high net worth, we are a planning-first organization. Um, ACO is very well-known, 50 years of history, providing corporate executives with comprehensive financial planning, tax prep, really a concierge, white-glove level of planning. And we are now offering those services down to, the, to beyond the C-suite, to the VP level, and providing wellness as well. And so we're, we're really seeking, we are today the largest national financial planning firm. We want to expand on that and really build on the brand. So that's what myself and Larry are doing is collectively trying to build the dominant national financial planning fund. Excellent. Thank you for that. And congrats again on all the success and the growth that you've had since becoming part of the Goldman Sachs organization. Um, and, and with that, the overview that you gave in terms of the employees, the amount of assets that you're managing, and just the reach and visibility that you have into the wealth management and planning space, I think a good place to start, uh, and typically, yeah, I've heard you speak on things that are very, very forward-looking, but I think it's important to just take a minute and look backwards to the last you know, 18, 19 months or so, given how much change there has been. And when I look at you know, the advisor-client relationship since you know, March 2020, when the pandemic hit in mass here, and everybody went you know, virtual overnight, effectively, um, I'm curious what you've seen in your point of view. What have been some of the most significant changes in the advisor client relationship over the last year and a half? And how do you think that'll reshape the future of advice? Well, it's been a couple of really big changes. The first one is the 
the need to have face-to-face -face meetings has obviously completely changed. Uh, we always had about 25 to 30% of our meetings were virtual video-based already, but tended to be with our younger clients because many of our older clients preferred to have the face-to-face -face meetings. It's interesting that the people most affected were the older clients who could meet the least and were least comfortable meeting. Uh, yes. And of course, it depends on the state and location and everything else. But pandemic really got everybody fast-tracked on video meetings, whether it was Zoom or any other form of media that you use. It's completely changed the human-to-human -human interaction. Uh, and that's led to a trickle-on of effects, which uh, in large part, the firms that are going to do best, and by the way, our, our organic growth grew by about 100% during the pandemic. So our advisors uh, really doubled the amount of new inflows that we had during the pandemic because we were not, able, not only able to, to shift very quickly to video-based and think about it, every client now knows how to video interact uh, to, to do virtual meetings. But second, all of our tools and systems were built to enable client participation without their physical presence in office. And I'd say that second one is really important because for many offices, they still are using a paper-based or financial planning, which is done outside of the client's interaction. And the obvious one, obviously, is we've gone to, to more virtual meetings. But the second less obvious thing that, that this whole pandemic has accelerated is the need to have dynamic and interactive tools that work in a remote context. And so if you have a discovery process that is paper-based with notes and the clients are just talking into a camera, that's not as powerful as having a gamified experience where the clients are participating and you are watching them participate in a virtual way with technology to bring them into the meeting. And so that ability to, to interact in a digital way where they don't have to be in your office to have a deep and meaningful connection is really different. And the third thing I'd say not in a client sense, but in a business sense that's changed, is organic growth for many, many folks has been really hard because you can't meet new clients. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so it's put a premium on pricing for acquisitions. And as you've seen in the last 18 months, we've gone from pretty expensive pricing. I remember people were pretty impressed with what we sold United Capital for. And pricing has exploded since then, mainly because many offices just are struggling with organic growth. And so it's really, there are only limited supply of sellers. So there's a, 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 I would call it a furor. Like I've never seen a bubble like I've seen on advisory practice uh, pricing. Like it's just amazing. So those are the three big things I've seen that the pandemic's really been accelerant for. Yeah, I appreciate that. And those are three huge, you know, tectonic changes for, and not just, you know, for, as a marker for the last 18 months or so. Um, but as you look forward, if you were to take any one of those three, um, or all three for that matter, how do you think it will reshape the future of advice going forward? And maybe we just focus on the advisor client and the delivery of yeah, advice. No, piece I, I, first. I, I, I'll tell you, my, I have a, a, an expression I've been using a lot here internally that the future of our industry it's going to be about the breadth and depth of the relationships you have with your clients. And what I mean by that uh, is that by breadth, I mean that the services we offer to defend that 1% fee are going to have to be more ample than simply providing a financial plan. You know, five, 10 years ago was enough to simply deliver a financial plan and create a wrapped investment solution to defend your 1%. 20 years ago was enough to charge 2% to just manage a portfolio. 
you know, five, 10 years ago, you added financial planning. And now I think you're going to have to add things like tax prep, banking services. What we're seeing is that what used to be an aversion to clients wanting to have all of their lives managed by one financial professional, we're actually seeing a pendulum swinging back the other way because there's so much complexity, people want their life simplified. And so the breadth of relationship matters. And it's one of the reasons I sold to Goldman Sachs. Obviously, we have a bank. We have all kinds of investment solutions. We can do things in a much broader way that alleviates the stress and anxiety from people's financial lives, where their lives are very complicated and they want to have one simple place where they can do everything. Uh, the second thing on depth is that in order to be in that trusted position with your clients, you're going to have to have a deeper understanding of who they are, what they want, what they care about across not just your primary client, but the non-financial spouse, their children, and everyone else. So you're going to need to have much deeper relations. And I, I use a simple term. You're going to need to understand your clients more than anyone else. That will be the, the thing that allows you to maintain your pricing. So breadth and depth of relationships are going to be the winning combination. And lastly, again, you're going to have to figure out how to have an organic growth strategy because at these prices, a growing by acquisition is just unbelievably expensive. Yeah. And, and that actually is an area where I would love to just spend a minute you know, on growth. You mentioned before 100% year over year organic growth, which is incredible. I know a lot of large RIAs that are you know, proud of the 15 to 25% you know, organic growth you know, that they've had over the last you know, year or so. Uh, I'm curious, one of the, the sort of biggest questions for me is if you go back starting in, in March of 2020, Obviously, everybody was able to embrace you know, video conferencing and more digital resources and platforms. But when you're trying to acquire a client, it's one thing to market to them. It's another thing to establish and gain enough trust in a digital environment to get them to hire you. That's something that I really struggle to understand how people have done that effectively. So is that something you could speak to a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Here's the thing that selling, basically, you need, you need two things. You need really three things. Number one, you have to have a good story. Number two, you have to be able to take a stranger and make them into a friend. So it's a way to make it warm. And then third, you have to have a set of solutions that are unique and specific that answer a problem or a challenge that the client has. I would say the biggest dilemma that people have, and, and I will say that the, the pandemic has accelerated the desire for brands. There's a lot of power to brand. I, I frankly thought that the Goldman Sachs brand would make a difference. But in fact, it's made a much bigger difference than I would have ever guessed. Uh, and I'll share with you in two ways how that's true. There are a lot of people that aspirationally would like to be a client of a certain firm, in our case, Goldman Sachs, but never knew that it was possible if you didn't have $100 million to actually work with us. So we had to do very little in awareness because the minute Goldman Sachs does anything, it makes news. And so we can spend money on digital and our rate of return is extremely high because people will click on something that has Goldman Sachs attached to it. That is something that I think the pandemic has actually accelerated. There's so many new fintech and wealth advisory firms, all of which sound and look the same. And as a consequence, having a brand that's established is, is exceedingly more powerful, uh, both through the pandemic and because of the proliferation of of advisory firms, all of which sound the same, but have similar names and nobody can, dis can differentiate. 
brand matters in that context. The second, and this is really powerful, is that our relationships with corporate and high net worth individuals has opened the doors to very warm introductions. So when people come to us, they're already predisposed. So, so as, as you know, ACO, or maybe you don't know, ACO is the largest firm working with corporates delivering financial planning and comprehensive uh, estate work and tax prep. And so we already work with a high, high percentage of the Fortune 1000 companies. We already work with a CEO and CFO and the ability to go to those people and say, hey, we can go to your VPs now for, for a lot less cost and deliver a financial plan and tax prep and provide a world-class experience for these people to retain the talent so that you provide a benefit. That's been inc incredibly powerful because we get introduced through the front door to billions of dollars of relationships who we first and foremost do an amazing job for. And when that's true, they then will often say, will you take care of our investments? And uh, so that's one. The second, uh, our Goldman Sachs brand is the preeminent brand for the ultra high net worth universe. Well, a lot of the friends and family of our ultra high net worth clients would like to work with Goldman Sachs, but didn't have a way to do that before. And now those people, the, our advisors can actually say, you know, we have our personal financial management group. And they do amazing work to work with you. And so we've been able to broaden the net. And that, that combination of those two things means that we have a lot of strangers we can make into friends very easily. And it's getting those people to pay attention to you. But even with the folks we have no relationship with, that we do digital campaigns, the brand is so strong that it's remarkably a, a short run for our advisors to establish a deep relationship with these clients. Then lastly, you need to have really great tools that shortens the trust cycle. And that's the part that I think a lot of independent advisors to build the brand that Goldman Sachs has built in 150 years is not realistic. Uh, but what they can do is figure out what do I need to do once I am introduced to somebody in a digital or virtual way to shorten the trust cycle. And we have tons of really good behavioral economics tools that shorten the trust cycle so that it happens in the first meeting rather than taking three or four meetings to, to develop a relationship with people. Appreciate that. And uh, you mentioned brand and you mentioned a really good story. Uh, it certainly helps that the Goldman Sachs brand has a really good story. I'm sure that that helps shorten the trust cycle as well. Sure. Uh, I'm curious, as you look at the growth and what you've experienced over the last you know, couple of years, um, I'm wondering, as you look ahead, you know, what have you learned and what do you think will power the next wave of growth for your group? I think, well, there's, there's three things that we stare at. Number one is the breadth uh, of, the, of the funnel. We think that, that we can go beyond corporates to, to affinity groups that are very eager to work with us and are very eager to deliver a consistent, predictable planning experience for their end clients. Just, you know, when you think about it, all the big brokerage firms have national presence Many large RIs have national presence, but the delivery of a consistent, predictable experience, especially with regards to financial planning, is not really a thing, except for us. So I think we have a unique advantage because of our breadth, because of our reach, because of our amazing tools and systems that are very scalable to really build a national footprint as the established financial planning firm in the nation. Uh, and especially for the segment, the $1 million to $50 million uh, group of people that need financial planning as the primary deliverable, 
in a consistent and predictable way that all of our advisors are delivering that. And secondly, the breadth of investment solutions and banking solutions and, and comprehensive breadth of solutions we can bring to solve a client's complexity is unparalleled. So I think that combination allows us to really turbocharge our growth, have a, deep, a broader relationship with our clients, but also to expand the funnel. And, and then once we're in, having a very, very high throughput so, so that when you have a thousand eligible people, that you're able to get a large percentage of them to want to be involved and attached to you. And so, you know, what we're thinking about is how do we broaden the funnel? And then secondly, how do we make sure that our, our pull-through is really effective? And that involves using technology, gamification, and, and a good story, obviously, that people are drawn to. Absolutely. And I think uh, yeah, I would love to just end on one industry-related question. You touched on some of the M&A activity that's been taking place over the last couple of years, some of the valuations in the market. And before I took this role, I was at an investment bank in the wealth management industry for a year and a half. And I had a front row seat for all of the activity that you were talking about. Um, I am curious you know, for where we are now right, and looking ahead, the landscape has obviously changed pretty significantly in the wealth management industry, but what types of firms do you think, I hate this word, but will win going forward? I'll tell you, it's very simple. Uh, if you have an over-levered balance sheet, and a lot of these acquisitions are being fueled by very cheap money, it's helpful to remember what happened in 2007, 2008, when we had a correction, pricing came down, and what happened to many of the straight financial aggregators. So you're going to need to be an integrated firm without too much debt on your balance sheet, and integrated in a sense that you're delivering a consistent unified experience to end clients. And second, most importantly, you're going to have to have an organic growth strategy because ultimately when you're paying 12, 13, 15 times cash flow, you're going to have to grow your way into that valuation if debt becomes less available. That's just a reality. That's the facts of the matter. And what I have not seen is, you know, I've seen valuation for firms that have no growth where the founders are retiring and the clients are 75 years old on average and they're getting paid 15 times. The math on that, if you can't figure out how to, and they have very little low overhead, so there's not even enough overhead to have savings. The mathematics, you're basically betting that somebody will pay you more for that business five years from now, even though the clients will be on average 80, they will be runoff and there's no organic growth. That's a very dangerous game to play. And firms that have done a lot of those transactions to sum up and aggregate a lot of revenues that gets pierced through ultimately. Now, again, they can, bubbles can go on for much longer than anyone expects. So I would just caution very much if you're getting paid in stock to, to look at the underlying stock of the firm that you're joining and whether the underlying business has actually fundamentally improved when it has sold to that firm. And, you know, as you know, United Capital, we did many acquisitions. We were transformative in the way we acquired. We made them into our brand they centralized their execution. They delivered our client experience. It was a lot more work mm. and, and expensive, but the underlying businesses grew faster once they were part of United Capital. If that's not true when, when you're joining an, a, a firm, when you're selling, take a lot of cash because no one can take <laughs> the cash away from you. But you know, it's, it's why we have done, we really have not been in the acquisition business. We really are now just recruiting advisors 
who want to be a part of the incredible amount of flow of assets that we have coming in. We don't need to buy them because we, we just need advisors to service all the opportunities we have in front of us, which is a much better business in the long term. I appreciate that perspective. And I, and I think the firms that are doing it well are really thinking more like integrators and not like aggregators. Right. Um, so yeah. thank you for really driving that point home. And also, thank you. I know up front, we said we wanted to talk about how there were five to 10 years of change that took place over the last 18 months. Somehow you managed to sum it all up in 20 minutes. So really <laughs> efficient and very well hey, Two hours well to come in in 20 minutes. I guess we're keeping with the theme <laughs> of accelerance. And thank you it. for having me. It was a real pleasure and uh, yeah. have a great day. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate it. And again, thank you everybody for joining us on the very first WealthStack podcast. My name is Mark Bruno, Managing Director of the Informa Wealth Management Group. And we look forward to having everybody back on the next episode of the WealthStack podcast. Thanks for joining. Us.